Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we discuss the people that are protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and I'm pleased to be joined by Karen McMillan, Senior Risk Analyst at Asante. Good afternoon, Karen. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Ed. Excellent, excellent. So tell our listeners a little bit about Asante. Well, Asante is a three-hospital, multiple practitioner practice uh, healthcare provider organization in Southern Oregon. We have a medical center in Medford, and uh, I handle most of Northern California rural areas as well as Southern Oregon. We're really the biggest provider in the area and growing continually. Okay, excellent. How did you get into healthcare and specifically IT and cyber risk? It's an interesting story. I started out as a lit major at UC Davis a long time ago. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm a lit major. (laughs) Okay, me too. No, it's funny. People don't think much about that. They go, you should be an MBA if you're in business. It's really quite the opposite. I think the ability to write and analyze is really helpful. And I found that my skill set has been really invaluable. And I've Build a niche. So when I was at UC Davis here in the United States, healthcare becomes a big issue. So I was offered a job at the AT&T phone company right when divestiture was starting. And most people that are listening probably don't know what divestiture is. You can look it up. <laughs> it has to do with the old quote unquote phone company. So I was brought in there in a service rep so I can get my healthcare. And I was quickly promoted into the Silicon Valley in 1985 to be on the major and national accounts for AC&T. So that was in healthcare, but that's how I started IT and they train you very well. What was interesting about that is that was like the Florence of the information age renaissance. I had AMD as an account, IT&T was trying to, to compete with IBM, So I learned a lot about IT. I learned a lot about technology and the environment. And I had been there for many years. And then I, you know, about five, 10 years. And then I took eight years off to be a full-time mother. Hmm. I made that decision. I never regretted it. When I went back, I was hired immediately back by AT&T. And when I was there, I saw a job ad. This is like in 1996 for the Corporate Information Security Department. Mm. And I thought that was intriguing. And I was up for promotion. And I actually took a downgrade to get into this organization because I had been interested in Netscape and seeing what's going on with the information age. And I thought, this is really going to be interesting. How are we going to secure information on the internet? So I took the job. In fact, I had to bargain because I was overqualified. I came in as a support staff handling the budget and I made a deal. I said, look, if I do a good job, can I get the team learning security? And so I did. Within two years, I was the regional manager for California and Nevada, worked for AT&T, just had a wonderful time. And eventually I was hired in as a took a job with Providence Health and Services, which I bubbled up from an analyst to a regional information security officer for about three years. And so I had a leadership role there, two states. And then I decided I really enjoyed the analyst of job better. And I've been doing that ever since. I did Deloitte Consulting for about six months, but the travel was too much for my husband. I worked for Asante and even the state of Oregon. So I got into healthcare kind of because it sounded interesting. I've heard people say, once you're in healthcare IT, you'll never leave. 
What do you love most about IT? IT or healthcare IT? Healthcare IT. Healthcare IT, I think one of the things I wish I'd done more of is give back, help people. Mm. Like my father is a physician, uh, my sister and brother are artists or do a lot of giving back. And so with healthcare IT, I have ability to connect to my work with not just saving data anymore, but starting to reach towards securing patients. And I think that was the most interesting thing. And I'm analytic enough. I mean, don't make me sub that IPs. Be analytic enough to enjoy the complexity of healthcare IT. And it's just fascinating and it's changing so fast. Yeah, I found the same thing when I got into healthcare for the first time. That shared mission that you have with customers is unlike any other industry. We're all patients or we know patients or so it truly is a shared mission. It really is. It's, it's kind of a click. I mean, mm. I think there's a lot of specificity to the things that we do and, and they're, they're good people. Yes. I, I like all the people that I've worked with in healthcare and I like mixing up with doctors. I like going out in the floor and seeing how these medical devices work. And I have that feeling I'd like to have more to be able to, to be of use. So what keeps you up at night? Well, in the larger sense, just the inequality that's going on in the world and in our country and especially in healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. I see a lot of folks really can't get the healthcare they need. So there's that. And that does keep me up at night. But I think from a professional standpoint, I think the, the risk is changing. I think that before it was more product specific, company specific, but I'm seeing now it's more systemic. You know, if I have a medical device that's connected to the cloud, it might also be connected to the person or the personal area network, they're calling it now. And so I'm feeling that we don't quite have a hold yet completely on the systemic view of risk management, that you might have multiple vendors, multiple devices, multiple methodologies. So I'm just trying to get my arms around that and understanding all these new sensing technologies that are coming in. And I'm not sure that we have them yet. It's like history is not a circle and it's not a straight line. It seems a little like a spiral, right? I've been there before. I've been where vendors didn't have to know about security. And now here I am again with the IoT vendors with the same reluctance to increase security in the product design that we had in computers back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, no, it's so true. In fact, I, I'm hearing this phrase again, secure by design, Yes, which is Microsoft kicked that off 20 years ago, and now yes. I'm hearing it again. <laughs> I feel it's like, like I've been here before. <laughs> you know, I can reach okay. back into my bag of tricks. Okay, now how did we work with a vendor before? Exactly. You know? It's like a combined hammer yeah. of, you know, reg- legislation and, and vendors and customers working together on that. Well, and that changing complexity and attack surface really makes it obviously interesting. It keeps you on your toes, I suspect. What have you seen from a personnel perspective, workforce perspective, in terms of folks' ability to really understand cyber and bake it into their day-to-day job and, and operations. You feel like we're at a point where folks really understand cyber and they get it and they're really, they're doing the training that you're asking them to do, or they're being a lot more vigilant about clicking on that link than they were, say, five, 10 years ago. That's a great question. And I think it all comes down to people. One of my job roles is, I call it human cyber, right? The training and the education and writing newsletters and getting out and presenting. To be honest with you, I'm not seeing a whole lot of difference. I'm seeing Mm. some because they're reading it in the paper, but I think it's almost like, what do they call that in the clinical environment? Um, Alert fatigue. There's almost a little bit of that going on, but I think what we really need to do and is more executive education. I think as we move more digital natives into top executive roles, that'll help. But I think that there's still a reluctance to really think about it and apply it. 
That being said, there is also some improvements. For example, when we had our mock fishing exercises, I did a lot of commentary back. And a lot of me said, thank you, because now I've been able to apply this to my home life as well. And I'm trying to give them the why about when we're asking them to do something. You know, this is why I'm holding up your contracts signing. This is what can be happening. And I think as cyber professionals, we just have to give them why. It's like taking your shoes off at the airport. Yeah, you're not going to likely be a shoe bomber, but, you know, we have to make inconvenience and security level apps. It's so true. I was just talking to someone before this call about getting to the why, and it's so critical. And oftentimes it's overlooked because people want to get into maybe the technology specifics or, but really understand that why is so critical to solving the problem. If you don't understand the why, you can solve any problem, right? It could be the wrong problem. It's so complex now. I think it's intimidating. It's Mm. intimidating for people to really understand what can happen. Right now, the news is, you know, you can clone people's voices. And so social engineering just took a whole new leap. How do we train our employees about phone calls or, you know, there's vishing, which I guess is the phone call. You know, mm-hmm. we really have to continually do this and we have to find more and more creative ways to it. You know, I put a cyber quiz out for employee awareness and made it kind of fun. Like, who knows what Stuxnet is? You know, I had a lot of people that found it very interesting trying to, you know, it's an interesting, almost a sexy business around. There's interesting things that are happening in security. It's, it's fascinating. And if you kind of take them along with stories and the whys, it helps. Well, and everyone loves The Godfather. Everyone loves to watch (laughs) crime shows, right? And this is organized crime at its best, right? And I think what's happening now is the healthcare industry is getting that. And we're all now starting to band together and work together and build that community of leverage like the bad folks have, right? Yeah. Saying it's not getting better, it is. But I guess maybe I'm thinking it's almost like a brutal poker game. No, the ante keeps going up. And so even though people are getting better, it keeps going higher and higher and higher. So like, no, 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 they don't know enough. But it is getting better and it's a big part of my job. And I think the most useful thing that I've done is I'm kind of a regular contributor, as you know, to an assault and a newsletter that goes out to 6,000 employees and non-employees. We have a wonderful woman that puts that out makes it a lot of fun and very interactive. So I've had my articles out there and then people just know me and will talk to me. Why can't we have Alexa coming in? You know, you have to drag her out with handcuffs. No, we can't have that happening in here. So I make it a little little bit fun by, you know, putting a face to it. That's Mm. been really effective. Yeah, it's interesting when people ask about Alexa, I always say, well, you ever been at your house and you'd be talking about a particular topic? And then you look at your phone, you realize they're serving you up ads on that topic. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Exactly. You know, so I, you want I, Alexa. <laughs> a person. So well, we can't have her. She's she's getting up to get pulled out by security. So exactly. I'm that's funny. But it's been a long journey, but mm. need to face with it, a human face with it. You so need to make it frequent and you need to make it fun. That's right. So true. So true. And it has been a long journey. Obviously, we kind of got through COVID, the pandemic for the most part. I mean, we're still dealing with a little bit of the fallout and the whiplash of it. Feels at times like we're back in it again. But for the most part, I think we're through the worst. But given that challenging uh, last couple of years, what are you most proud of personally and professionally? Well, I'm most proud of our company. Asante is a wonderful company. We work for him. Just giving a Great, great plug. But mm-hmm. they immediately understood that it's okay for everybody to start working at home. You're immediately sent home and they actually found a production went up. So I'm really proud of the way that the company handled it. We really suffered 
I'm proud of the way our whole team is really able to come through this with all the changes in remote work and how do we secure remote work? How do we get multi-factor authentication for everybody? I think it's not really me I'm proud of, but our security team that really had to work to get the technology to make the remote work happen. I'm mm-hmm. proud of my company, Asante, for making it through this very difficult time. And we had to pull and help workers from all over the world to try to help us through this time. So I think of them as a matter of pride, so both mm-hmm. like my healthcare practitioners and also our IT staff. What were some of the things you had to do in your role as risk analysts? during the pandemic and, and even afterwards, maybe from a change perspective, how did you have to change the way you worked? And Right. I think a lot of it was working with the field, working with, I call it the field. It could be a doctor, it could be the lab, all the different organizations I work with. I wasn't able to go out there and talk to them like I used to. Mm-hmm. So it became everybody becoming really more familiar with teams. And so I had to change the way I communicated with people which really came up to speed pretty quickly. I think everybody realized this is what was going on. I was actually really depressed about how, whole, how flexible people really are. So I had to connect to people a little differently. I saw more tele- healthcare options coming in, so many different uh, Zoom call technologies and mm-hmm. how to facilitate that, how to approve these technologies that are needed right away. How do we fast track a lot of things? So I think a lot of my job changes for his speed and communication methods. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have to rely on other folks to help with more of the new technologies coming in, maybe from a technology assessment perspective, or were you able to handle that yourself? Or how did you manage well, that? My role is to intake the security risk assessments. And they could be anything from a sound standard, which doesn't, just, I can handle that myself, to some of these more complex systems, in which case I have some security engineers that you know, make it. sure that I ask the right questions. We need to make sure that the iPads that are being used by physicians to talk to patients meet our requirements. We have vendors that no longer could show up on site mm. to perform routine maintenance that wanted to use their system to remote access to yeah. reset pacemakers. And so we need to say, okay, mm. the, you know, are you going over the guest network or not? I mean, this is really critical step where suddenly we have all these requests for remote access. Everybody has their own solution. How do we really weigh the urgent importance of it right away, which is the risk? So it was a real challenge. And a lot of times it did come back to a management decision, which is ultimately what security is. It's a business decision. Mm -hmm. You can't secure everything. So my job is just the facts, madam. You know, what do we got? What does it do? talk to the client to understand the importance of this and then feed that back up. I'm like, most of the folks that you have on your show are executives or directors. And I think I'm a little different. I'm more of the good soldier or the conciliating that works with these people and can report to what's going on in the field, what are their trends, and so that they're able to lead the ship as well in the right direction. Yeah, that must be challenging doing that remotely too. I can imagine if having convinced a doctor or another clinician that she can't purchase a particular machine because it's too high risk or... <laughs> yeah, I get that every day. And again, it's a matter of explaining it. Yeah, 
We are growing so fast. Healthcare industries are in constant growth is what I've always noticed. And so getting people to understand why that is. And now with OT, as I said, it's the old cycle, the operational technology vendors, you know, where is your security analysis of your architecture and how this is? How are devices authenticating yeah. to each other? What protocols are you using? Is your Bluetooth encrypted? These type of questions you're just not prepared for. And right. so uh, once again, I'm going back here and then we have the growth and with the change and the remote. It's an ongoing struggle and you just kind of get through it and you yeah. learn from every vendor that you work with. Right. Excellent. Excellent. So outside of healthcare, IT and cyber risk, what are you passionate about? We mentioned you're a lit major. You're still, you're reading, you're writing, you're still. <laughs> you know, I'm an oddball. You know, I'm an avid, avid, avid reader. Yeah. And I get the New Yorker every week. And I read Me too. I listen to poetry. I have a book, oh. my favorite poetry. Oh, know? my. Oh my God, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm, we'll I write poetry. Up. Oh, that's so I, great. I, I, oh, I, nobody ever, you know, you know, like everything from T.C. Boyle to some of these yeah. Polish poets that are translated beautifully. But so I'm an avid reader. I've got a huge library. I've always got three books going right now. See, what am I reading right now? I just finished Thomas Hardy book. Oh, wow. You know, it's always kind of like, what am I going to read next? It's the big decision in my life. I love, have you read Sister Carrie? No, I have not. Theodore Dreiser. I, I just recommended it to my daughter. It's one of my favorite books I read when I was in, I I was in university. Out. Yeah, it's pretty good. For sure. I recently hired a couple of writing coaches to help me with, a, I'm publishing a book of poems. Oh. So yeah, so I'm trying to do that as well. <laughs> Build a company. <laughs> I think it's important. Like you got to stay connected to your other hobbies and passions. And No, it helps. It gives you a different perspective yeah, on things. Exactly. And historical fiction is always great. But I do that. Uh, I live 60 yards from the ocean. I'm up on existence in a oh, very man. small, kind of a poor working class community in California. I just love it. I'm an outdoor person. I don't need sports swim. I can ride my bicycle to the Redwoods and along the coastline. Oh. Are you in Big Sur? No, I'm in a little town, little tiny town at the top oh. of California called Crescent City, California. Crescent City. Oh. Crescent City. It's very small, okay. um, very affordable. We have more people moving in now. This is remote. I used to be in Grants Pass, California, when I worked for Sante, but they sent us home. So we just moved to the beach house here and really love it. So I spent a lot of time outdoors. I'm, I'm picking up weaving, learning how to weave. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of technical. <laughs> so I think IT people like it. Excellent. What would you tell your, if you go back in time, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Other than take more math. That's math. I wish I had my dad try to tell me. Would I listen? No. Oh, so, I have a daughter who's just graduated with a quantitative finance degree. So oh, wow. <laughs> I figure I'd do my math through her. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I, I was able to get into a UC with only algebra and geometry. Yeah. And frankly, I feel that I was done wrong. I shouldn't have been forced to exercise that other side of my brain, and I wish I had. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, 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 I do, that's so funny. And then lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question, since this is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, boy. I, I, know, I, guess what I love this question because people always go, <laughs> I know. oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty risk adverse, actually. I'm not a really risky person. I mean, I've listened to some of your podcasts. There's people jumping out of your <laughs> No, I haven't done that. It's like, okay, well, you know, in summer camp one year, they had us get to the trail of Mount San Gregonio, way back, they call it, Southern California. Mm -hmm. 
He hiked 20 miles. I was like 17. When we get to the top, and it had been a hard winter, and the trail was about a foot and a half wide, and it was all iced in, and they were, it was right at the top. And the counselors looked at each other and said, yeah, 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 we can all get the girls across here. And so it was like 25 yards of this. And it was so steep that, you know, it was right next to the edge and down, it was straight oh. down. And so I had tennis shoes on. I remember sweating halfway through and looking at my tennis shoes. So somehow I made it across, but that was probably the riskiest. And I should have said, no, I'm not going. But That's was, very good. That's well, cool. That, that, long ago. <laughs> that, that, that works. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Anything you'd like to tell our listeners? No, not really. I think that it's fantastic industry. Keep your eyes open, work hard, and somehow we all work together and we'll hold the fort. That's right. And that's a good way to end. This is Ed Gaudet signing off from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. And if you are on the front lines protecting patient safety, stay vigilant. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T.com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Risk never sleeps.